Money FM 89.3, the best of your money. Market View on Money FM 89.3. Good morning, I'm Denko with your Market View. And joining us to break down the latest market actions is none other than Willie King. Good morning, Willie. Hey, hey Dan, good morning. How's uh, Humday looking for you? <laughs> Every day, every day is the same for me. Mm. So it doesn't really matter because I work almost every day. Fantastic. All right. We need that positivity, Willie. Now, the first word of the day goes to the rally and big tech stocks overnight. And it's driving to their longest winning streak in two years with investors struggling off the latest attempts from the Federal Reserve speakers to tone down Wall Street's dovish bid. And interestingly, both the S&P 500 and Nasdaq finished higher to clinch their longest winning streaks since November of 2021. What do you make of the latest market movement, even amid a growing list of macroeconomic concerns? I mean, are markets continuing their climb on a wall of worry? Yeah, that's the thing then. I mean, if you see, the narrative has changed, right? I mean, since last year, you have the Fed increased, or central banks across the world, they have increased interest rates very aggressively. And that sort of led, you know, to a sell-off in tech stocks, especially because people are talking about how interest rate, high interest rates could affect the interest costs on the borrowings of many of these technology companies. Mm. It could also affect the valuations of many of these technology stocks. I mean, if you look at the, if you calculate the future free cash flow of many of these stocks, um, interest rates is actually one component in valuing some of these uh, companies. But this Narrative has changed lately, as you as you have seen, where the Fed has has continued to hold on higher the higher higher rates for longer environment and narrative, and this has led to a rally in big tech stocks. And this tells me it seems like the market is it's pretty happy about what's really going on because yeah. if you look at um, what. How U.S. stocks they have traded higher on uh, last evening. You have the S&P 500. You have the Nasdaq. Um, they have actually aimed for the the longest winning streaks in two years. So you have tech stocks, you know, like the big tech, for example, um, Meta platforms, Amazon, Microsoft. You know, they have all inched higher as a result of and, and expectations that the economy could could sort of um, continue to grow. And at the same time as well, you have um, technology stocks driving, you know, new new updates, new technolo- technology here. So it could seem like um, they, they have actually bust through uh, some of these worries or these macroeconomic concerns here. Mm. Do you buy in on this though, Willie? Like what do you make of this rally to you personally? Yeah, I mean, if you see... Um, People are talking on the street. I mean, you have strategies, you have chief investment officers, you know, how they are talking about how um, rates could actually stay on for a while, but it could actually signal a rate cut. I mean, if you look at some of the central banks, not just the Fed, but you have the European Central Bank, you have the Bank of England saying that there's an expectation that um, bench, their own benchmark rates could actually start falling closer to the mid of next year or towards the end of next year here um, as a result of falling inflation. But for my take, I... I think that, you know, the Fed is probably not done with um, interest rates because number one, you still have inflation, which is still pretty persistent. That's one. And number two, uh, it seems like this uh, this whole higher for longer narrative is probably here on to stay because if you think about it, it might not go back to where it was during the 1980s, during Mm. the Paul Walker era where interest rates was at a double digit. But at the same time here, you still have what I call, you know, your persistent inflation. Um, inflation, but at the same time, U.S. economic data is still pretty strong. I mean, you have relatively low unemployment data. Your jobless claim is still very healthy. And at the same time, you are also looking at a very strong labor workforce in the U.S. And if 
if you look at some of the data here, in the third quarter of the S&P 500 recent earnings season, um, there are a lot of companies, surprisingly, they have sort of beat analyst expectations. You know, mm. not just technology stocks. Um, you have other stocks in retail, consumer, your defensive stocks as well, industrial stocks as well. Many of these companies, despite that since last year, there was a call for a potential recession this year. There are many of the top um, 500 companies in the US, they have actually came much stronger and they have actually beat um, many of the analyst expectations in terms of their revenues, mm. in terms of their profits. So it seems like this could actually not be the end. I wouldn't be too early to say that um, what we are seeing, a relief in the markets could be a permanent stop. But what I would think that is the Fed might not necessarily be done here. Okay, very interesting. I'd like to add on that as well. In fact, we've got Lauren Goodwin at New York Life Investment saying that the Fed may be done with rate hikes, but she's concerned that the relief we are seeing in the markets today is only a stop on route to recession. In fact, I mean, it's been emphasized before that, you know, central bank officials, they've emphasized that bringing inflation fully down to the 2% goal, after all, is their main focus. We'll keep a close eye on how markets move at least for the next few weeks and towards the end of the year of course but now we turn our attention over to a company that made history overnight in wall street and that is none other than microsoft now microsoft ended tuesday's trading session at a record high of 360 dollars and 53 cents the 1.12 percent daily increase gives the software maker a market value of about $2.68 trillion. Willie, that's a lot of money. What's driving the share prices? I mean, then if you look at Microsoft, they have always been, you know, one of the leading forces of tech stocks in the S&P 500. So recently, what actually led to higher performance is its strategic AI partner, OpenAI. Mm. They have announced many updates, including price cuts and also plans to allow people to make custom versions of their chat GPT chatbot. chatbot. So this actually came in one of the San Francisco events which have announced this update and it was a positive sign for Microsoft um, because Microsoft has invested roughly about $13 billion in OpenAI and this allows the big tech company to have an exclusive license on OpenAI's GPT-4 large language, mo- large language model, which is able to generate your human, human-like human prose in response to a few words or text. So this allows um, um, Microsoft also to release AI add-ons for its Office productivity app subscriptions and the assistant in the Windows 11. So both of which rely on a- open AI models. So mm. the... The the great thing is that everyone has been talking about technology these days and Microsoft is really the front runner of, when you're talking about artificial intelligence, you're talking about languaging model because, I mean, if you look at businesses today, a lot of them, they are adopting your chat GPT chatbots. Mm. A lot of companies, they are trying to incorporate a lot of the chat GPT technology into their businesses, trying to think about how to automate it. So mm. Microsoft sees this as a future. Even the market also is actually very positive with what Microsoft is doing here. Yeah. Uh, that's why this is really what is driving Microsoft yeah. share price today. Yeah, some say that when OpenAI succeeds, it's a mutually synergistic for it's mutually synergistic for Microsoft as well. That's that being said, I mean, do you use OpenAI? I mean, compared to Google's Bard or maybe even uh, Elon Musk's recent uh, new AI as well. I think it's called XAI, is that right? Mm. So, so far, there are many competitors which are coming in to fight against ChatGPT yeah. and Microsoft's OpenAI. Yeah. But 
apparently, a lot of people, they have been talking about open AI, AI and they are using the technologies used. So I, I haven't really heard of people talking about um, Google's BART, for example. Mm. So a lot of the talks about how to actually automate your software systems, for example, your business um, processes, a lot of it, people are still experimenting with ChatGPT, for mm. example. Yeah. For example, how, how to write, how to come up with content ideas, especially, you know, we are in an age, a digital age, where uh, content writing is so much more crucial now than it was, say, 15 to 20 years ago. Yeah, it's uh, very interesting. I mean, it's slowly starting to become a little bit more of like a, you, you know how in, in the past, if you don't know anything, you, you would ask your friends, you know, why not you just Google it, right? Now, if you have assignments to do, why not just chat GPT in, you know? Yeah. So it's, uh, it's, it's clearly being driven into uh, the consumer's mind as well. Now, that, that being said, does this suggest that Microsoft is a clear winner of this gener- generative AI play? And should investors get on board with this stock? Mm. So there's two, parts, there's two parts to your question here. So, so far, Microsoft is in the lead with generative AI play. Yeah. I mean, um, like what I've, I've mentioned earlier, you know, many people are still talking. Right now, they are talking about ChatGPT, for example, more so than, say, for example, Alphabet's BART. Um, but it's hard to say with technology. I mean, if you see, you know, it's been a long, you know, it's not very long ago that, for, for example, MySpace and Friendster were disrupted by Facebook. And you also have um, live streaming platforms now like TikTok coming to disrupt a lot of the video contents, the short, uh, the, the short video contents. And Alphabet, Google's YouTube, Facebook, they are also trying to compete with uh, TikTok's short video. So there are a lot of disruption going on in technology. So while you can see that uh, many com- companies might actually take the lead in certain areas of the software space but it's sometimes hard to say when some of these technology companies can come from the back and really accelerate in terms of their growth number one because technology companies these days are more flushed with cash Mm. especially the the stronger mega cap or the stronger blue chip they're flushed with cash uh, all from their ability to generate a lot of very strong operating cash flow so they're able to actually plow in this capital to build uh, software systems really fast. So I, even though Microsoft is in the lead, but it's, it's very hard to say that they are, they are the clear winner now. Um, there could be other competitors like what you have pointed out, mm. which could actually come much faster or they could actually acquire other companies as well to accelerate their technology. Mm. Interesting to see how this would evolve over the period of time. A lot of disruption, as you rightly mentioned, Willie. Now, let's shift our attention over to the opposite end of the spectrum where we are now turning to a company that recently, I suppose, went bust. We're talking about WeWork. They recently filed for bankruptcy, capping a tumultuous period that once saw the high-flying startup navigate a failed initial public offering, COVID-19 lockdowns, a blank check merger, as well as a slow return to office trends. Now, the company, which is which was at its 2019 peak, commanded about $47 billion valuation. They recently listed $19 billion of liabilities and $15 billion of assets in its bankruptcy petition in New Jersey earlier this week. So what led to WeWork's collapse into bankruptcy, really? Yeah, I mean, there's a, this is a very painful story because for me personally, I like WeWork's co-working space because right. I've been to some of the offices, you mm. know, in town and I must say, you know, they, they, they are one of the better um, co-working spaces out there. And the thing is, 
everyone would love WeWork when interest rates were low because if you think about the story, uh, WeWork came with a very, very compelling story that they wanted to bring uh, more community-like co-working space um, to the smaller businesses, to startup companies. And yeah. it worked for a period of time because of the low interest rate environment. They were mm. able to borrow at a very cheap cost and they can lease out or sub- lease out their physical spaces to some of these tenants. Right. But the thing is, WeWork did not really anticipate the sudden increase in interest rate or the rise in interest rate. And that actually led to its big problem because number one, as interest rates gone up, it's actually much more difficult or much more challenging for WeWork to finance some of its interest payment because mm. it borrowed a lot in order to finance its business at the start. So that's the, that's, that's the one thing. Now, the second thing is that as interest rates go up, a lot of WeWork's tenants or their sub-tenants tend to be startup companies which mm. are very heavily focused in te- the technology space. So as interest rates got up, a lot of the borrowing started to got to get pulled back. That means a lot of the startup companies were not able to get financing, for example. They were not able to raise more money. And as a result, they have to scale back on their physical spaces. Mm. They have to scale back on, for example, their rental cost. And the nail hit the coffin when there's the COVID-19 pandemic when everyone started to work from home. So mm. that really slowed down and decelerated WeWork's operating performance. And this really led to its um, collapse and eventually into its bankruptcy. So rates going up, you have startups fail, um, starting to fail or struggle, and they might actually, and they fail to actually pay some of this interest rent. And WeWork eventually was settled with um, a lot of leverage, which they were unable to actually pay off. Yeah, very, very sad story right here. I mean, some even say that the founders, Adam Newman and his wife, often fostered sometimes often made the enterprise look more like a religion than a startup itself. So, I mean, we look when we look when we talk about WeWork, it's uh, heavily helped by SoftBank Group as well, and that's the Japanese conglomerate which is led by Masayoshi Son. He invested about 16 billion US dollars in WeWork in the years that led up to the flexible workspace company's bankruptcy. So, first off, to what extent do you see this having having an impact on SoftBank as well as Sun's reputation as a savvy investor for picking winners? And I mean, what do you make of this, Willie? Mm. So I think for WeWork, right, it is actually still a limited exposure to SoftBank. So SoftBank actually did come out and say that their exposure to WeWork is not very big and it has already written down most of its investment in the company over the years. So okay. it still have roughly about a billion dollars of exposure to WeWork to to, to its WeWork investment. But having said that, SoftBank is actually a very, very big investment fund. It has about a total asset of about $325 billion. And the thing about um, um, successes and failures for technology companies like SoftBank is that the, the kind of strategy which um, technology or venture capital investors like SoftBank make is very different from how you would invest in, say, into the public markets. Because when you're looking into venture capital investing, you know, investing into startups, you're investing into companies where they might not have uh, very strong profitability in the first place, you have to invest in a very v- diversified portfolio of many different companies. Mm. So you are actually expecting companies to actually fail at the start. So you're... A- in fact, you are expecting majority of these companies in these um, um, portfolios to actually fail because the whole idea is that you only need a handful, a small handful of these tech companies to really succeed. And that's where you can really, you know, gain your multifold returns. Mm. 
in your portfolio return. So on one hand, you are looking at WeWork's failure in SoftBank, but on the other hand, this is part and parcel of the strategy when it comes to venture capital investing to mm. startup investing here. Doubling down, that's what SoftBank is doing because WeWork's $3 billion debt for equity swap deal with its creditors marks their latest effort to to revive the troubled office space provider and also hopefully recoup some of the billions it has invested as well. But we'll keep a close eye on how it unfolds at least for the next few months ahead. Now let's shift gears over to China and the International Monetary Fund recently raised its China growth forecast to 5.4% for the this year, while warning that the real estate struggles still persist today. Now, Willie, what is driving the upward revision from its earlier forecast of a 5% growth? Mm, so, it is more focused is more focused to its consumption services. So, its, economy, its, its recent economic growth is driven by consumption services and infrastructure. So, this is what driving it driving its growth here. Um, even though real estate is still a large portion of China's GDP, but if you see what the Chinese government is doing is that it's slowly trying to divert away from the real estate sector and moving towards um, trying to encourage or improve the growth in con- in the consumption uh, sector because it knows that you know you have about 1.3 1.4 billion people you have a growing middle class with a much higher purchasing power more more ability to sp- a higher ability to spend this allows them um, you know to actually push the economy uh, through economic uh, through consumption growth and infrastructure spending Interesting. Now, then how should investors play on this growth? I mean, let's say we were to shift away from real estate. You mentioned consumer spendings, right? Which sectors should we be looking at here? Mm. So for myself as an investor, I always like to look at things which you can eat Mm. and things which you need, you know, things which you need to buy for your daily essentials. So I always go back down to basics, right? It's not just food, for example. So uh, consumption-related companies, uh, the F&B sector, for example, is one. Uh, You're looking at retail, um, consumer retail, for example, the things which you need to buy every day. For example, your um, appliances, your, your furniture, your electronics, Appliances, for example, uh, you're looking at food consumption. You are also looking at different pieces or electronic parts which contribute to your electronic products which you're using, you know, your smartphones, your laptop, your computer. So I would actually be focusing on this. Um, at the same time, I'll also be looking at healthcare stocks or healthcare se- the healthcare sector as well. Mm. Um, that's where the focus is because you're looking at 1.4 billion people. Uh, you're looking at the increasing standard or the rising standard of healthcare policies in China as well. So I think that's something where investors can actually look out for when it comes to how the Chinese government is slowly pivoting away from the real estate sector and moving more to a consumption-led growth. Fantastic, Willie. Fantastic as always. Now let's play a game of up or down and very, very simple game. All you need to do is to guess whether a stock or a topic is going to be an up or down. Willie, are you ready? All right, let's go then. Okay, first on the list, we've got Datadog stock. Mm, so Data Datadog is definitely an up for me. This came after the stock surged close to 30% um, after the company reported a stronger than expected third quarter 2023 results. So the interesting thing is that this um, the cloud software company which sells um, cybersecurity products such as, such as analytics and cloud monitoring tool has reported that um, its better profits are driven by new customer bookings. And I think Datadog is right in the right smack in the middle where a lot of companies they are right now trying to engage cybersecurity softwares and tools to allow them to monitor uh, many of their data which has been stored online. 
Yeah, I mean, we were talking about reporting quarterly revenue of 25%, or at least they were up 25% year over year for their quarterly revenue. And the growth rate was also consistent with the results in the second quarter. Good news for Datadog here. I'm going to go with an up. Next up, we have got Uber. Mm. Uber will be an up for me, despite the fact that they have missed analyst expectations uh, for its third quarter results, uh, third quarter 2023 results. Um, and the reason why is because Uber has recently showed higher gross bookings and this has exceeded its own company's guidance from the previous quarter. So company's uh-huh. revenue revenue for the quarter was up 11% um, as compared to last year um, at $9.3 billion. And recently, the Uber's CEO said that its company's third quarter results was very strong and he saw accelerations in the company's bookings, trips and mildly active platform consumers. Fantastic. That's, a, that's exactly what we want to hear from uh, a sharing app as well. Let's move on over to Robinhood. Okay, Robinhood is a down for me um, after shares fall on revenue miss. Yep. Um, also, after its cryptocurrency volumes also tumbled, um, Robinhood markets, it fell and it reported revenue that missed estimates. And this, this was very different um, from a year back as well. Its transaction-based revenues fell 11% as compared to the last year to $185 million, really due to lower cryptocurrency volumes, which fell 50, more than half on the year, uh, according to the company's management. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to go with a down for Robinhood here. We talk about reporting net revenue of $467 million, missing estimates of $478.9 million. So I'm going to go with a down for Robinhood. Next on the list, we have got... Watches of Switzerland. Wow, Watches of Switzerland. This is an up for me after shares mm. are up nine, close to close to ten percent. And the retailer also talked about how it plans to double its profits by twenty twenty eight. So it is very interesting um, when it comes at a point where everyone is talking about high interest rates, and at the same time, you know, as we have just mentioned earlier, then about talking about um, a much uh, stronger performance in the stock market. So this really comes on the tailwind of a potentially stronger economy. Plans to double their uh, profit by 2028. That's fantastic to hear. Are you a fan of Rolex, uh, Willie, by any chance? Okay, for me then, I'm not really a fan of watches. So if you ask me about Rolexes, I know nothing about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do like to, to wear, you know, uh, nice watches, not the premium luxury ones. So right. if you see, I, I like to wear an Apple Watch here. Yeah, very simple, man. <laughs> All right, now next on the list and last on the list, we have got EC World Read. Mm. So EC World is a down for me after it announced its third quarter distribution per unit or its DPU was down 33% to 91.6 Singapore cents on the back of lower gross revenue and net property income. Yeah, similar tone to what we're seeing with lots of SREs here in Singapore as well, down lower DPU for this season. I'm going to go with a down for EC World Read as well. Fantastic. Thank you as always for this breakdown of Market View Willy. We'll catch you again soon in just a bit as we'll be discussing what or how you should be investing during the earnings season. So continue to keep it right here with us on Money FM 89.3. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at audio.sg or download the audio app. That's A W E D I O, audio at the App Store and Google Play.